Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 6. We are uh, coming to the final petition in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, verse 13 is our text for this morning.
solve the, the dilemma we face because though the Father promises that he will never tempt us, he'll never entice us into sin, Scripture tells us over and over and over again that the Father will test his people. Deuteronomy 8.2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. In, in Ecclesiastes 3, I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them. Isaiah 48, I see I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Perhaps the greatest example of God uh, testing someone is the story of Abraham. Genesis 22 begins this way. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Most of you will know that story. After waiting for years and years, he receives this promised son. And then God tests him by saying, will you offer him to me? And God, in the end, provides a sacrifice, and Isaac's life is spared. But we see over and over again in Scripture that God does test his people. He tests us. And so clearly translating this word as testing uh, instead of temptation doesn't eliminate the problem, the difficulty of this verse. It doesn't help us make better sense of this petition. So what are we to do? What other options do we face? How should we understand this? I want to contend that the answer is found in reading this first part of the petition together with the second phrase, that we don't read these as two distinct phrases. Jesus does not teach us, lead us not into temptation, full stop. Jesus teaches us to, to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And it is vital that we read those together if we are to understand them rightly. Now, they, they are a unified concept. We're going to come back to that in a moment, but I need to speak to another translation issue first. The last, last phrase, deliver us from the evil one. Depending on your translations, some translations, like the NIV that I read, says deliver us from the evil one. Other translations say deliver us from evil. If you have an ESV, uh, you, you can look. That's, they're translated differently. Why the difference? What's going on there? I don't want to dive too deeply into the weeds, but... But in the original text, a, a literal reading there would be, rescue us from the evil. Okay? There, there's a definite article in front of an adjectival form of the word for evil. Uh, the, so uh, often in these constructions, the, the noun is assumed. The evil one is completely appropriate in how it's often generally translated. In fact, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 37, where Jesus is speaking about oath-making, uh, we read this, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. It's the exact same uh, construction, grammatically. At the end of the day, it doesn't really make a huge difference which way you translate it as evil or the evil one. D.A. Hagner writes this, the differentiation between Satan and evil is small in the present petition. To pray to be free from one is to pray to be free from the other. Uh, and I appreciate what Martin Lloyd-Jones says in this regard. He says, it certainly includes Satan. We need to be delivered from him and his wiles, but there is evil also in our hearts, so we need to be delivered from that and from the evil in the world as well. We need to be delivered from it all. I appreciate that sentiment from him as well. I would contend that the best translation is the evil one, that that is what Jesus is teaching us to pray, and that, that includes everything. So regardless... I just want to note that in case you're reading in a different translation. Back to this petition. 
We need to look at this petition as a whole, both phrases. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We need to see it as a unit. And we need to remember that whether something is a test or a temptation depends on two things. Who stands behind it and how do we respond? Could Jesus be teaching us to pray, Father, when we face trials, when we face tests, and we know that we will, don't let them turn into temptations. Don't let them turn into occasions where we are enticed to sin. Father, rather, protect us from the evil one. Protect us from the one who wants to turn every test into a temptation. The one who wants to lead us astray and into sin every time we face difficulty. The one who hates us because he hates you and we love you. Daryl Johnson puts it this way. Father, you know that we cannot stand up under very much pressure. As you lead us into the test, and all of life is a test, as you seek to prove and improve our faith, do not let the test become a temptation, a seduction to sin, but deliver us from the subtle wiles of the deceiver against whom we are no match. Father, rescue us from the evil one. This is getting at the heart of what Jesus is teaching us here. Jesus is teaching us to cry out to God, our Father, for deliverance in the face of the evil one, in the face, in the, re- in the midst of a spiritual battle in which we live, where Satan seeks to draw, uh, draw us into sin and lead us away from our Father. That is how we need to understand this. Jesus is teaching us to pray for a rescue, teaching us to pray for deliverance. So how are we to understand now our situation and our need, the implications of what Jesus is teaching us. We've already noted in the last part of the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we've recognized our dependence on God. We need God to provide for our our material needs. So Jesus teaches us to pray, give us our daily bread. We know that we, we are dependent upon God for forgiveness, that we have a debt because of our sin. If you were with us last week, remember $400 billion was the modern equivalent, according to Tim Keller, and, and us trying to pay it back is like giving five bucks a month, right? Like we have such a debt we cannot pay back. We cannot make a dent in it. And so we are utterly dependent on God for his provision of grace, forgiveness. And so we are taught to pray, forgive us our debt. And God does. He wipes the slate clean. Here we see again, we are to recognize our need, our dependence upon God in the face of the spiritual battle that we live in, that we face daily. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to obedience. We are called to live lives submitted to him to grow in holiness in in matthew 5 48 earlier in the sermon jesus said be perfect therefore as heavenly father is perfect our lives are to be conformed into the image of christ we are to walk in obedience and holiness we are to to reflect his likeness what this petition reveals to us is our utter dependence upon god in this life that we are in a spiritual battle that we face a spiritual enemy and we cannot by our own strength, by our own striving, we cannot make it. Satan is too strong. We cannot make it on our own. 
And so Jesus teaches us to recognize our dependence and to cry out to the Father for deliverance. Deliver us from the enemy. Deliver us from the evil one, from his attempts to lead us from you, his attempts to lead us into sin. Lord, when we face trials and and tests, when we face difficulties in this life, deliver us. May they not become temptations where we choose sin. Left to ourselves, we are no match for the enemy. We are weak, we are vulnerable, and before a dangerous foe in the face of a spiritual battle, we need deliverance. Some sometimes scoff at this idea when we speak about a personal devil, an enemy of God, and an enemy of all that's good and God's creation and his people. But the reality is the scripture uh, declares this without embarrassment, that there is a spiritual foe that we face, that there is a a devil and his demons, fallen angels. And and we're called, 1 Peter 5, 8 reads this, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We face a spiritual enemy. We live in a spiritual battle where the enemy is out to destroy us, out to lead us into sin, to lead us from the Father if that were possible. D.A. Carson writes this, this petition is a hefty reminder that just as we ought to conscious, uh, ought consciously to depend on God for physical sustenance, give us our daily bread, so also ought we to sense our dependence on him for moral triumph and spiritual victory. Deliver us from the evil one. Too often... We attempt to go it alone, independently, leaning on our own strength. Too often we fail to take into account the reality of the spiritual world in which we live, spiritual battle that we face, an enemy who is out to steal, kill, and destroy. Here Jesus teaches us the foolishness of such a course, of of ignoring the reality of this battle, ignoring the reality of a spiritual enemy. C.S. Lewis famously in his book, The Screwtape Letters, highly recommend that book. It's, a, it's letters between a senior devil and a junior devil, and it just exposes brilliantly the, the strategy of our enemy, trying to destroy the patient in the book. But here's what C.S. Lewis writes elsewhere. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. We, we can think too much about Satan and the demonic enemies that we face, but we can likewise think too little. We need to be aware of the spiritual battle in, in which we are engaged Satan in Scripture is described primarily in two ways, as the accuser and as a liar. Jesus says that when Satan lies, he speaks his native tongue. His heart language is lying, deception. Satan's strategy is to lead us away from the truth, to make us believe lies. Jesus says The truth will set you free. And the inverse of that is likewise true. Lies will hold us in bondage. Where we are experiencing bondage in our lives, where we are uh, caught in sin, we are believing 
lies. We are believing something that is not true. So whenever, whatever that sin might be, whether it's greed or lust or whatever, Satan says, oh, this will satisfy you. This will make you happy. The, the truth is only Christ will satisfy our deepest longings. The, the truth is obedience to Christ is the way to true joy. But we are tempted, we are lied to, and, and Satan seeks to deceive us. His goal is to get us to believe lies about life and about the Father so that we don't trust God, so that we don't believe in His goodness, so that we don't surrender and submit to Him. And He does it often in very subtle ways. Think of His attack in the garden on on Eve. Not blatant. He just plants seeds of doubt. Did God really say? Did God really say that? You won't surely die. Satan does not want us to trust in our Father. He does not want us to trust in His goodness. And so when we experience a trial, a test, a difficulty in this life, Satan wants to whisper lies into our ears. Your Father loves you? Really? And He let this happen in your life? This tragedy? And you believe He's good? Really? You believe that? You sure about that? In the face of Satan's attacks, in the face of the lies from the evil one, Jesus teaches us to call out to our Father, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We need to recognize our utter dependence on God in the midst of whatever difficult situations we find ourselves. We cannot make it on our own We are not strong enough. We need His rescue. The good news is that in the coming of Jesus of Nazareth, a whole new order of existence is breaking into this world. The future is invading the present. Heaven is invading the earth. The gospel is not simply a matter of believe the gospel so that someday you will be with Jesus in heaven though there's absolutely a glorious future promised. The the good news is that this life is is breaking into the present, that even now we are being gospelized, we are being transformed as his people. And so, yes, the good news says that Jesus has paid our debt. We looked at that last week. Our debt has been wiped clean. We are clothed with his perfection. He has paid it. We are redeemed. We are his people. But Jesus also wants us to know that in this world, even now, he has filled us with spirit, enabling us to live lives of growing obedience, that sin's power in our lives has been defeated. Before we were slaves to sin, but now through Christ, through the faith in Jesus, through his indwelling spirit, the same spirit we read in Ephesians, the same spirit that raised Jesus back to life indwells us, empowering us so that we can grow in obedience and holiness. Romans 6, Paul says, though you were slaves to sin, now you have become slaves of righteousness. We can grow into the people that he has called us to be. We do not need to live in despair and in bondage to sin. And yet we have an enemy who lies. Oh, you'll never make it. You'll never grow. You'll never be free. And when we sin, he he accuses and says, oh, God could never really love you. Look at you. Look at the mess that is your life. Satan lies and he accuses. And he 
wants us to not believe the good news. He wants us not to believe in the graciousness, the goodness of God. He wants us to trust, not to trust God, so that we reject His way and that we live in failure. Jesus teaches us to pray this petition. He's teaching us this because we need to recognize our utter need in our spiritual life for his rescue, for the gospel, for those gospel truths that the debt has been paid, that we've been filled with the spirit, that we are empowered to live this new life, the life of the future. Not with sinless perfection, but growth and joy in obedience. The gospel is not just something we need to become Christians. The gospel is not just something for people who have not yet trusted Jesus that we need to share with them. The gospel is something that we need always. We never outgrow it. When my boys were young, learning to ride bikes, they started with training wheels. I don't know when the last time Brennan rode a bike, but there's no training wheels anymore, right? Like, you outgrow that. You, you, you don't need them anymore. But here's the, tr- the, the truth that we need to grasp. The gospel, the good news that in Christ we have been redeemed. In Christ the debt has been paid. In Christ we are clothed with righteousness. In Christ we are indwelt by the presence of the living God. That we are being changed into gospelized men and women. That, that message is not training wheels. We, we never outgrow our need for the gospel, the, the gospel truths of who God is and what God in Christ has done. We never outgrow. We never put that aside. It never comes off the bike. Daily we need it. When we face trials and difficulties, when those occasions come, and Satan wants to lie to us and say, God, God couldn't really love you or he wouldn't do this. God obviously doesn't have power to change us because otherwise why would he let this tragedy happen in your life? And so we need to pray. Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's what it means for us practically. That, that we be those who pray, who pray this prayer. Father, deliver us. Rescue me today. Rescue me in the midst of this hard experience. Rescue me in the midst of my tears. Keep this from becoming a temptation that leads me into sin. Keep this from becoming a moment where I doubt your goodness. How will God rescue us? By reminding us of the truth of who he is. By reminding us the truth of what he has done. The truth of what he is doing. What he will one day bring to completion. Daryl Johnson, who I've quoted a couple times today and other weeks too, was a professor at the school where, or he came to be a professor at the school where I did my graduate studies, came in I think my last year. In 2000, he and his family were living in Los Angeles where he was serving as a pastor. Four days before Christmas, His 18-year-old son, Alex, and some friends were in the mountains climbing. And they were walking across a slope of loose rocks. And the rocks gave way, and Alex was swept over a 120-foot cliff. 
40 minutes later, when a rescue team got there by helicopter, they thought for sure he was dead, but they found a pulse, and he was rushed to a trauma center in Los Angeles. By the time Daryl and Sharon got there, he was in a coma and on life support. Neurosurgeons didn't know if he'd make it, and if he did, what kind of life he would have. A few days later, Daryl was driving home after a long day in the ICU, and he heard these words, God spoke to him, and he wrote this down in his journal. Things are not as they seem. In your son's life, in your wife's life, in the lives of the other children, in the lives of other patients in ICU, things are not as they seem. There is more going on than meets the unaided senses. There is God, a living God, a good God, a faithful God, a powerful God, a reigning God, an ever-present God. There is never a time when this God is not good. There is never a time when this God is not faithful. There is never a time when this God is not powerful. There is never a time when the God of the Bible is not on the throne of the universe. There is never a time when the God we meet in Jesus is not present. It is a promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Later, Daryl wrote, in one of the most frightening experiences of our lives, our Heavenly Father rescued us from the evil one's attempt to destroy our faith. Remarkably, miraculously, Alex did live and recover, but Daryl proclaims this as the truth no matter what God is good. God is powerful. God can be trusted. Father, rescue us from the evil one who tries to get us to believe lies about you. Father, rescue us. Remind us of those truths in the midst of the trials we encounter. Deliver us. Remind us of the truth of your goodness, of your faithfulness, the fact that you sit on the throne above every throne, of the fact that you have defeated Satan and defeated the final enemy, death, the fact that you are reversing the curse, the fact that you are making all things new. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 